Offside with Andrew Gunling and J.J. Devaney. Oh, yes. Caught offside in the suburbs of New York City in an apartment in Brooklyn, New York. Andrew Gunling and J.J. Devaney. What's up, brother? I'll tell you what's up. There was some magic at the cup today, Andrew, but it was in Germany where Holsten Kiel managed to down Bayern Munich in a game that I didn't see, but in a game that I ultimately thought, oh, well, okay, Munich, Bayern Munich must have put out an average team. They did not. It was a very, very good team by any measure. Uh, they lost on penalties. And so, um, yeah, I thought Holsten Kiel sounds like a, a pilsner that you would drink. Yeah, and then I saw that uh, it only took about a week for Mauricio Pochettino to get his first trophy. Just the week. PS- with, uh, with PSG today. It's all happening, Andrew. <laughs> That's right. He leaves Tottenham instantly. A trophy is just handed to him. <laughs> if only he knew it was that simple. <laughs> I just need uh, to leave this team that I've built over five years. Yeah, yeah. PSG beat uh, Marseille in the French Super Cup 2-1 thanks to a, a Neymar penalty. Um, Icardi scored and, and Payet got a late goal for Marseille, but it was too little too late. So yeah, some uh, magic of the cup happening all all around Europe right now, not even just in England. We will talk about the magic of England's cup, the FA Cup, maybe, actually. I, sh- I don't want to give anything away. We have, a, we have a wheel of football, everybody, and that is one of, the su- one of the topics that's on the wheel. But like we always say, you never know what the wheel is going to land on. Uh, so there's a chance that will come up. There could be no way of knowing. The, the wheel is not fabricated in any way. It's not rigged. It is a pure wheel, a wheel of goodness, a wheel of purity. Right. Sure, it may be spun five times and there's five topics on the wheel, but you don't know which order in which they'll occur, I, I suppose, is the real drama of the wheel. But yeah, so we'll, uh, who knows what will come up on there. We do know that this Sunday is, I guess, the game of the season so far between Liverpool and Manchester United at Anfield, 1130 on Sunday morning, Eastern time. And uh, to talk about that, we're going to talk with Mark Critchley of uh, The Independent, Northern Football Correspondent for The Independent, covers Manchester United, covers that part of the country specifically. Uh, So he's going to join us in a little bit. He was, I believe, at Manchester United's most recent game against Burnley. Um, Yeah, when I contacted him to to ask him would he come on the podcast, um, the game was about to kick off. He had just sat down in Turf Moor, Burnley. So again, I'm hassling people who are doing their job. It's it's terrible. Hassling them to come on the podcast. But Mark is great. He responded straight away. And um, I can't wait to hear what he's got to say. I feel like that last name, just the name Mark Critchley, I feel like it's just, it's so uniquely English. Oh, Critchley. Yeah. Absolutely. Give him a kind of a high undercut and put him in the film 1917. I, I, I can't stop watching it. It's like I have a problem every time because it's on Showtime right now. And so whenever it's on, no matter what point the movie's in, that's it. I'm I'm done. Like if, if I happen to just be flipping through the channels at 11.45 at night and I'm exhausted and I see it, that's it. Now, well, now I'm in. I can't yep. go to bed now. It's it's the same with me uh, with Goodfellas. The, the minute that the, and it's usually at the same point every time I start watching Goodfellas when I fl- I'm flicking through the channels, I know I should be somewhere. And it's always when I need to be somewhere that Goodfellas is on, on AMC permanently forever and i flick it on and the ronettes are playing frosty the snowman come here you come here you and it's the scene where um didn't i tell you don't get anything don't buy anything 
What's the matter with you? Ah, ah, what's the matter with you? Always. And I'm there for the next two hours. Yeah. Yeah. That is definitely one of those movies. And it, it's always, the, although 1917 isn't super long, it's like two hours, but Goodfellas, I mean, if you get sucked into that, you're, you could be done for three hours. I remember, uh, I, I was on a, a date once and, um, my, my date told me she said I'd never she'd never seen Goodfellas, which was like just this is a dangerous thing to tell me. It was just an invitation for JJ to make her watch it, and I had it. Or my my roommate had it on DVD, so when we went back, we sat on the sofa, and it's so long, Andrew. It was split over two DVDs. I had to get up and change the DVD. I think that's too long for a, a date movie. Chief. I don't know what I don't know what number date this was, but. I think that's, I don't think, I don't know if that's date movie material. It's not. It's, it's make JJ feel better about himself. Okay. And, and, and also have JJ explain a movie to, to a poor girl who's. Oh, I'm sure she loved the, the JJ commentary. I didn't know that came with this DVD. That's a feature on here where you get to tell me and explain to me every scene. Cool. Oh, and, and the endless impressions. And by the way, I had taken, I, uh, if I remember this correctly, um, Jess, if you're out there, <laughs> every single date. Was uh, was a trip to an Italian restaurant just because I like Italian food more than anything else. Well, in that's the world. okay. Italian food. This, this date was really just for an excuse for me to indulge my passions. <laughs> uh, all right, I have the wheel, JJ. Now, like like we've said during quarantine, it's it, it's not in the best of shape, but it is still spinning. Uh, so I do have it. it. We have the the topics that are on it. So uh, should I give it the first spin? Give it the first spin, Andrew. I, I look forward to hearing it. I haven't heard it in so long. I mean, I know, it was in storage. We had to get a we had to pay a security guard all this time through the pandemic to look after this dusty old thing. Yeah, it's that important. Um, all right, here here is the first spin. As you can hear, it's it's not in great shape. I don't know why there's that low droning noise behind it. Uh, I'm not sure what that has to do with the wheel. But JJ, it lands on this. Hoppy days are here again. <laughs> Yours and my happy days. I can only assume that this is referring to Matthew Hoppy, um, who poured in a hat trick over the weekend for Schalke. And it begs the question, who exactly is this person? Well, Andrew, um, that is the, that to me, that's the most fascinating thing. Um, there's a conversation in U.S. soccer that goes on all the time. And I think I've seen dear Alexi Lalas involved in it. Oh, who's slipping under the radar? You know, there's always this idea that we've missed out on so many players in America that never, never made it. Or we, we, we somehow in this huge expanse, we've lost soccer players. You know, they've fallen down the back of the sofa. And um, he is one that went under the radar largely, except for those psychotic U.S. men's national team and U.S. youth team fan accounts. They've probably kept an eye on him. But largely speaking, nobody knew of him. He played at a, a a kind of a Barcelona academy team in California. He, he Arizona, I think. Excuse me? I think it was in Arizona. Oh, it, it may well have been. Who, who even knows? He got a trial, uh, went to Schalke, um, signed, was very, very unimpressive for them. I wouldn't say very unimpressive. That's not fair. But he well, didn't have he didn't have a ton of goals for him to come on the radar of everybody and say, "Oh, this guy's going to be one to watch." Right. His first year, he played with the under nineteens. 
for Schalke. He scored three goals in 17 games. Uh, then I guess he impressed somebody because he was then called up to Schalke's second team, which plays in the German fourth division, and he scored one goal in 16 games. And then he was promoted to the senior team, where he immediately poured in a hat trick. Right. Now, he had had some other minutes for the seniors over, the, I think, over the Christmas period and, and a few minutes in the EFB Pokal, but he hadn't scored. And then he scores a hat trick, which is just just incredible. And what was notable about the hat trick was it was a really good hat trick. This isn't something that came in and it hit off his shins or, you know, um, deflected off his glute. This was a really, really good hat trick. And the last goal in particular, Andrew, where the keeper's coming out and it's a it's a lovely ball played in, into into the young American's path, and he flicks it, lifts it, and flicks it over the goalkeeper almost while he's facing the corner flag. Like he's going in the opposite direction, and he stabs it over with his right foot. Just a consummate finish. So um, it's just so exciting. I tweeted immediately. That's the center forward position sorted out. Triple G. <laughs> but yeah, on but a we're, not, we're not overreacting or anything. No, but on a serious note, um, Ryan O'Hanlon of the No Grass and the Clouds blog, he did a bit of, of proper journalism, and because uh, that's the term. He spoke to Gerald Asamoah, Schalke's under-23 coach, to find out, you know, what's this guy like from the guy who knows him best? And he asked a very good question. Compared to other players you've seen at his age, at his position, is there anything about the way he plays the game that makes him unique? Until a few weeks ago, Matthew was still a part of our under-23 squad before he was called up to the first team. After the 4-0 win against TSG Hoffenheim at the latest, I have to say, quite rightly, I know his weaknesses, but I also know what makes him special. A strong will in front of goal and his calmness. When he had a chance, he didn't just shoot at the goal and hope that the ball would go in. And that's not a matter of course for such a young player. So he's already telling us he is calm and assured. He's got to use that great um, soccer cliche, he's got ice ice water in his veins when he's in front of goal. Look, it was it was brilliant. We obviously need to see more from him. But if you're, say, Josh Sargent, who is a centre forward who, or a forward who doesn't score, you know, you're looking over your shoulder. Yeah, certainly. I mean, it almost, it almost had a little bit of like a, like a Jeremy Lin feel to it for me, where I was just watching and I was like, who, who the hell is that? Right. You know, like, but that doesn't happen anymore. When I was younger, there, like, for example, Lars Ricken, who was a student for Borussia Dortmund, comes off bench in a Champions League final. I'd never heard of the guy, and curls one over the goalkeeper to put the seal on a on a three nil win for Borussia Dortmund. And you're like, Lars, who? Nowadays, everybody knows so much. We've got transfer market at our fingertips. We can track signings. You know, like we get excited about signings, even if we haven't seen them play. We have all this information. We didn't have anything on this guy. And here he is, the new Hoppy. I saw that uh, Tor Christian Carlson did a write-up on him at ESPN FC. And he he went through his strengths, his weaknesses, what's next for him. I'll just read a a portion of his strengths that they list here. Uh, uh, He writes, his dedication, humility, and willingness to learn are second to none. And those qualities translate into industry and graft on the pitch. Hoppy's enthusiasm is contagious. No ball ever seems lost. And his off-the-ball running is executed with conviction that, along with his ability to time runs on the right side of the offside line, proved vital against Hoffenheim. Unlike many strikers, he's happy to close down opponents, tackle, and do his pressing duties. 
So he may not have been on the radar two weeks ago for the U.S. men, but I get the feeling that he's on it now. He has he has no youth team caps. So, you know, again, like I said, slips through the net, falls down the back of the couch, fell through the cracks. Very interesting. And, and it's a position that we've talked about. I mean, I know you just mentioned Sargent, but it's it's a specific position that we talk about as kind of, you know, all we're welcoming all comers right now at that position. So raise your hand and, and like you'll get your chance. So it'll be, it'll be, uh, I guess it'll be interesting to see what happens next. Again, it's one performance, but it, but was, Schal- it, was, it was that good. Schalke is not a good team. So this no, is a guy who snapped their like his historic winless streak. So this is a guy who's going to get a run. Yeah. Um, all right. Next spin, please. There we go. And MLS uncertainty is what it lands on, JJ, because there's been, I mean, the league technically is supposed to begin in March, but the back and forth over the current CBA uh, between the players and owners is kind of at a standstill right now. They have this 30-day negotiating window set up by the league, which I think the uh, the players union is not happy about and doesn't understand why they can't extend beyond the 30-day window uh, obviously, COVID is surging again in this country and will certainly impact the at least the start of the season and probably a, a, a big chunk of it, depending on how the vaccine rollout continues. And this is a league that lost in upwards of, I believe, a billion dollars last year. And according to one source, $725 million of that was uh, attributed directly to COVID. So, you know, MLS, like we all took a victory lap at the end of last season because they got in the, the fun MLS is back cup tournament. They got in the season. We crowned a champion. It felt like it was a success, but that was on the field. Off the field, money was being lost hand over fist. Mm-hmm. And nothing has happened in the time since to cure that problem. So, like, this is, this could get ugly. Uh, I get the sense between the owner, ownership, the league, and, uh, and the players' union. Yeah, it's it's MLS basically saying 2021 is not going to be a bumper year. We are not out of this thing yet, and we need to amend the CBA. The problem with the MLS Players Association, from the reporting I've seen both on ESPN and in The Athletic, is that it is a large body. It is a body that has many processes in approving and discussing and debating these uh, amended terms to the CBA. And so it's going to take time. And MLS can pressure them all they want, but this is a this is a long process. And um, Don Garber described the amended clauses or the or the um, what's being put before the players association as very fair and very reasonable. Um, but it, this is going to take time, and you know MLS can want to rush this all they want, but, but you know if you look at the way the players association debates things, the subcommittees they go to and the processes, it it's kind of a slow operation. It's kind of unwieldy. It's also deadly boring, like really boring. Um, but, yes, but, that is true. But it's like, it's one of those things that it's boring, but it's also important because yeah. it could lead to you not having a season. Uh, so it's just funny because with all the back and forth between uh, the league and the players union, remember, I believe it was last February where they, they actually did complete their CBA negotiations. And then a month later, all hell breaks loose. And like, 
they they were basically forced to start from square one all over again and institute this force majeure clause, which is in the case of uh, which could be instituted in the case of, of economic ca- catastrophe, like a pandemic, which is exactly what happened. And so, like any progress that was made previously on negotiations, it feels like it was all for nothing, and yeah. like immediately a whole new reality was kind of thrust upon them. And it's I don't know. I, I wish I knew enough about the, the like inner workings and the financials of MLS to tell you how this is going to play out. Because think, right now, the, and the players union says they're not going to strike, but they could potentially, there could be a lockout. Yes. So. Uh, there's also the fact that it's not just for, you know, this is for a long term. This will affect into 2025, 2027, down the line. So I guess that has to be considered too. When we do finally emerge from this pandemic, what terms will they the players association have signed up to. Um, so we just got to watch this space. It's a little bit concerning, more than a little bit concerning to be in the middle of January with no uh, resolution on this. No, no, certainly not. They do still have time. Like we said, that 38 window, they're still in it. And the league technically isn't supposed to start until March. So there is time to figure this out. And we know how these things work. Like deadlines are set because deals don't get struck until the deadline hits. So uh, I guess talk to us in, you know, 30 days and then, We'll see where things are at with uh, with these negotiations. All right, next spin. Let's go. There we go. Ah, oh, it did come up, JJ. Ah, ah, the magic. The magic. It appears. So I can only assume whoever wrote these topics. Uh, they're referring to the magic of the FA Cup. It was, of course, this past weekend. Uh, I would say the most magical venue was that of Marine eighth tier, like we talked about, Marine, who was facing Tottenham. Tottenham did win um, 5-0, but I think just like the visual of that game was so compelling. Um, Just to see this game being played with, you know, Holmes kind of lining the pitch. uh, It was, uh, I don't know, it just like, it was like you're in a time machine almost to just a different era of soccer. It was, it was very cool to see. Someone tweeted out, um, someone who lived adjacent adjacent to the field, uh, Marines Field in Crosby. It's amazing. I can lean out my back window and I can see Gareth Bale. <laughs> and Gareth Bale uh, retweeted him with just a wave. Yeah, it, it was quite something. And you had um, you had people drinking champagne and drinking beer in their backyards as as they watched this game through the fence. It it was uh, it it really was the kind of thing I grew up with, and um, the kind of thing that just enraptures. The the Ameri- being on the American side, the American response to that is just it, it always fills me with glee because it's there's nothing, not even the maybe like a small college basketball team in a, who play out of a small venue playing a good team of you know that that kind that resonates, but nothing like this. No, Duke is never traveling to a D three school to play them there. You know, like that stuff doesn't, that just doesn't go on. And even if they do, I don't know, something about like watching a college basketball game in like a small gym, it's not quite the same as watching a, a an important soccer match played in a neighborhood. Like, yeah, I don't know. There's just something, I, I guess, you know, the NHL is, I guess, starting these, these outdoor hockey games. Like there's one being played, I think in Lake Tahoe, kind of just like almost on a pond. Right. Uh, you know, so the visuals of that are, 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 in some ways, you know, a th- like a throwback to this sort of thing, like you know, just going out on a pond as a kid growing up playing hockey. Yeah, sure. Uh, I guess it's that's the only thing I could think of, but there's something cool about it. And and the teams, the way they rallied together to help raise money, they were Tottenham was helping Marines sell what they were calling virtual tickets. 
to help raise, even though fans weren't allowed at the game, they were doing all they could to try to help raise more money for the club. Because I saw, I saw one report somewhere that the money earned from this game for a club of Marine size could potentially, um, like that could be money that they live off of for the next five years. Oh yeah. So it's, this was a massive event for them, even to have just gotten to the third round and have the opportunity to play in this game, what it meant for them financially. It's especially now when lower league football is, is on life support in many ways, this was, it was really important and it was a cool, cool experience. Even the players from Marine, they seemed like I saw them on Twitter afterwards at like with the, uh, with Jersey exchanges with Tottenham and then posting them online. They seemed, uh, like starstruck the way fans do when they run yeah. into, you know, big time soccer players. So it was, it was pretty cool. I know we're going to get to Derby, uh, Charlie later, but, uh, I, I, th- I do think that the, the gloss was taken off the weekend by, you know, there were scenes and pictures of people in Crosby greeting the Marine team, you know, crowds of people outside and, um, just, just the idea of, 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 of what England is in right now mm-hmm. suddenly has come to the fore. Um, and now it, the conversation is extended to celebrations, I, I, which I think is silly. I think if you're if you're if you're okay with football being on, but you're drawing the line that they're not allowed to celebrate. When you see all the jostling, all the contact that goes on in a game, all the close contact, you know, it's it seems it seems crazy to me. So I wanted to ask you about that. I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. So, because the NBA is doing a similar thing right now here in the United States. And I just wonder, like, are these rules being put in place because they're actually constructive in helping to limit the spread of the virus between teams? Or is it because these games are basically being broadcast to millions of people and it's important to just simply set the right example for those who are watching? Um. I think a bit of both, but mainly the mainly the latter, because if you're, it can't be the former because no, of the reasons look, you just said. Look how tight basketball is played indoors, in, in in you know, and you could say a soccer field is big, you know, and there might be, you know maybe a windy day, maybe the transmission is different there. No, you're jostling, you're you're tackling, you're shirt pulling, you're in the box, you're doing all those, you're marking in the box, you're doing all those things, and basketball, the same. It's more, it's more to kind of portray that or to put it out there that, you know, we are still in this and we all need to be on our guard. Um, but yeah, it's this whole handshake and celebration thing has now taken a life of its own in the English media and the English papers. And um, yeah, it's, it's, it's insane to me. I, I think if you're going to have football, you're going to have close contact. Just accept it. It's it's the nature of, of sports, certainly this one. Yes. Um, so, and I'm not trying to like, yeah, I'm not trying to limit the like downplay the severity of the situation. You know, I understand that the league is trying to do their part, I suppose. Um, but if it's if it's that bad, where you know, like a handshake or a hug af- between teammates after a goal, like is that is that much of an issue? Then maybe they have to shut it down. Well, we've seen lower league seasons already. Um, the in um. Uh, non-league football some leagues have just cancelled their season already so football has already taken a stance it's professional football now that's kind of going to have to make a decision at some point yeah but here we are supposed to be talking about the magic of of the cup and the weekend now we've gone down a road Uh, a couple other ones not quite as magical but uh notable nevertheless arsenal need extra time but they do get past newcastle Uh, they score twice in extra time two nil so they advance 
uh, Crawley, JJ. Tell me mm. about Crawley. Uh, Crawley Town, Andrew, they came into the Football League, were promoted to the Football League about a decade ago. And um, I'd like to say they were a magical story then. They were, but they did seem to pay quite high wages. And, and they were kind of, if you want to call them, a, a non-league super, super club, which is, I guess, what you... It feels like, a, like some kind of oxymoron. Yeah, a, a non-league team that had resources and um and they've 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 kind of maintained that status somewhat for the last decade or so. Um and they're they're not in great financial shape we hear right now, but uh, even still that was uh, that was quite the shock that they produced against Leeds United, which okay, Leeds Bielsa experimented with the team. He brought in younger players. He he did he kind of changed formation. He had Calvin Phillips, for example, playing in a position he wouldn't be used to. Blah 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 blah. Crawley were much better in that second half. Won the second half. Won the game, and were so comfortable by the end of the game, Andrew, that they pulled what might be one of the more humiliating things that I've ever heard of, where they were able to bring on a reality TV star as a substitute right at the end of the game. That was Mark Wright, who was in one of these shows. It's, it was called The Only Way is Essex. So I never watched it, but it was along the lines of Geordie Shore, which was a knockoff of Jersey Shore. Just English, anglicized versions of what's being produced in America. Gotcha. And um, he had had a career where he was in like maybe the academies of some professional teams. And then he, his life had taken him into reality TV, but he went looking to play football again. And Crawley signed him, I think, in December. And they were so assured of beating Premier League leads that they could bring him on with a few minutes to go. That result was not greeted well by Leeds fans at all, let me tell you. And, um, I think so. And Adrian Durham on TalkSport. I know I shouldn't quote people from TalkSport. They like to be incendiary, but he said that Marcelo Bielsa should be sacked. Oh, stop. For that result. But anyway. said that? uh, Adrian Durham. Resident uh, loudmouth at TalkSport. What are are leads right now in the Premier League? 12? Exactly, exactly. But this, this was not a nice... This was not nice, this result. No, this, was, this is a stain on their season, but I mean, look, his job is to keep them up in the Premier League. And I like, know, we know all that. He's yeah. just being, you know, he's just using something that's happened and kind of just jumping on it a little bit. And now we're giving it oxygen by, by entertaining it. It's silliness. It is silliness. I'm sorry for even mentioning it. By the way, if you could pick a celebrity, any famous person to come on in a game of soccer, who would it be? Well, I'll tell you what. Professional level. You you put me on the spot here, but uh, he owns a club, so I suppose it's not out of the realm of possibility. I think Will Ferrell could be a, a funny optic coming on for LAFC. Mm. Oh, I guess. Uh, I, I mean, I, I get somehow the wrong answer to no, that question. There's no wrong know. answer because, but he has he he played in some of those charity games. There's a, there's video of him at one of the. He, I think he played even at Old Trafford. In the charity well, game. So what is it you're looking for here? Like a serious answer? Like if no, I like the stupidest thing, like Paulie Shore coming on for Newcastle, you know, just someone who has no place on a football field. The board comes up on, they come on like, you know, just some, someone along that lines. <laughs> uh, and also um, we, we did mention this game 
a little bit last week. Chorley, uh, they defeat Derby County. Mm. Now, I, I guess we should say that there's – I don't want to rain on their parade. It's a huge moment for them, but a little bit of an asterisk because Derby were the club that we said were coming into this uh, where they were – where COVID had run through the club, the entire senior team, mm. uh, Wayne Rooney and all. And so they were fielding a team of under-18s and some under-23s as well. And in the end, it did not uh, it did not go well for them. And, and Chorley did defeat them. No, Chorley did defeat them. Uh, I think more focus was on Chorley's video afterwards where they're in some kind of makeshift tent singing an Adele song. That went yeah, viral. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah, everybody loved that. And then everybody stopped loving it when they thought, oh, look at all these players in close proximity in a tent hugging and singing. And COVID entered the magic again. So there we go. Sounds like this this tournament is not going to be allowed to be magical this year. No, it's not. Also, there was one American point that was made I thought was quite funny on the Twitter sphere. Uh, Jeff Reuter, who writes about MLS and American soccer. People standing Marine FC like their childhood club, but act like US Open Cup doesn't exist. Mm. So I, I responded, Andrew. I said... It's as if a team based out of a Maryland liquor store going one up against full-time professionals in the cup never happened. Great point. Yep. Yep. Christos FC. That's right. We should never forget them. Uh, All right. Ready for the next spin? Yes, let's go. Here we go. Ooh, yes. Your favorite. Transfer talk. Right, this is going to be the quickest transfer talk ever. I've I've no desire to engage very long on this. Lead the way, my friend. Um, so so the first thing is uh, Sebastian Haller, Andrew. He came in like a lion and he left like a lamb. Uh, he leaves West Ham for IX for twenty million pounds, which is um, less than half what West Ham paid for their record signing. And he's you just gone. Know, you just know how this is going to go. Oh, he's going to absolutely tear up the Eredivisie and end up signing a center forward for Inter Milan or something yeah. like that. That's just the way it's going to go. I, I actually felt quite sad at this one because there was times when he just showed flashes of genius. There was the overhead kick. There was the, the thunder bastard goal he scored against. I can't remember who it was. Where Oh, Sheffield United, where he's, He's just not in the play and the ball breaks to him and he goes, okay, and he just whacks it into the net. Um, I think they've given up on this too early. I, I really do think they've given up on this this too early and um, and they've left themselves a little short, striker-wise, um, expecting a lot from Mikel Antonio. And I hope the rumor that they're trying to re-sign Arnautovic is not true because that is just, it seems dreadfully regressive. Um, so that is, that is one, uh, one transfer that, has uh, popped out to us. Uh, Manchester United had already signed him, but now he joins uh, Ahmad Diallo from Atalanta, the very talented 18-year-old. So I was curious about this transfer, Andrew, because I'd read somewhere that United were very, very interested, like super interested in signing him. And I couldn't remember where I read it. So I went back to October's Daily Mail um, now, I want you to listen to these words, and they're the words of the um, Atalanta, I suppose, the, the owner or the chairman of Atalanta. And I want you to just consider these words, and then consider United's kind of, I suppose, just consider the the signing as a whole. Um, 
So this is from the Daily Mail. The negotiation with Manchester Manchester United lasted almost a year. The details and the scenarios are crazy. Meeting after meeting, we learned unimaginable things. This leads to the growth of the club and enriches the work of everyone, from the general manager Umberto Marino to the entire staff. United made a contract a few days after the Youth League game against Manchester City, where, incidentally, Ed Woodward spotted Diallo. They had followed him. The real negotiation started. We went twice to England. The text of the final agreement is a contractual masterpiece. So United paid $37 million. Does this concern you that Atlanta are high-fiving themselves so hard on this sale? That's interesting. I'm curious. I'd like him to go deeper on what he meant by, what was the beginning of that, JJ? He said we learned unimaginable things. What is he even referring to? The details and the scenarios are crazy. Meeting after meeting, we learned unimaginable things. About what? But then the following sentence is, this leads to the growth of the club and enriches the work of everyone. Which Meaning, club? Their own? Yes, Atalanta. Meaning they have got some kind of, this deal is just unbelievable. Well, what I mean, does he mean that there's some kind of like add-on packages to this where if he meets certain benchmarks, there's going to be just like a wave of new money that comes into them? I can only surmise that that is the case. The deadline, it was a, a deadline day transfer of 37 million. Um, it was, Ant, uh, the, it was um, excuse me, Antonio Percassi, who runs the Atlanta team that came up, uh, that, that's where I'm getting those quotes from. Uh, Vice Chairman Ed Woodward made an approach for the 18-year-old after a UEFA Youth League match more than 12 months ago. So this has been a, a Woodward signing. Interesting. Very interesting. Yeah. Also, I just saw this uh, a little bit earlier today. So depending on when you're listening, news may have changed. But an update, JJ, on Brian Reynolds. Uh, This is from Sky Sports. FC Dallas youngster Brian Reynolds is, quote, very close to sealing his move to Juventus, report uh, NBC Sports. The 19-year-old will be loaned out in Serie A for the rest of the season to Benevento. Uh, Juventus have agreed to pay $10 million for the right back, and he will sign a four-year contract. So amazing. This is great news. I mean, maybe not necessarily. Well, even FC Dallas probably, uh, I'm sure they're happy for him and they get some money uh, out of this. And, you know, their youth system is always cranking out new talent. So, um, you know, it, it hurts to lose a player of his quality, but I'm, I'm guessing people there are happy for him. Another uh, American, young American at, at uh, Juventus. This is very, this is very promising. Our cup overfloweth, Andrew, at the moment. Yeah. Uh, also, remember last week we had said that uh, Mesut Ozil's agent was saying that mo- a, a, a move of some sort was only days away. Oh. Well, well here we are. Uh, here we are, Andrew, indeed. Um, goals say that Ozil to Fenerbahce transfer is closer than ever. Than ever. Um, and they're quoting their uh, Fenerbahce sporting director, Emre. Uh, Fabrizio Romano claims salary details are holding up Ozil's <laughs> Arsenal move to Fenerbahce. I Boy, bet I they are. Imagine. <laughs> I bet they are. So that's where we are. This was Ozil Watch, brought to you by Money. All right. Should we? Uh, I know you love transfer rumors, but we we have to move on. JJ. I mean, Mark Critchley is waiting. Uh, Mark Critchley of the Independent. All right. So I'm going to spin the wheel for a fifth a fifth and final time here. You ready? Ah, of course, of course, it had to be a midweek peak. That means a a peak at the games that have occurred during the midweek period in the Premier League, JJ. Yeah, just Uh, a quick quick peek of what we saw 
Um, so Manchester City were very good without being unbelievable. And Phil Foden is now their top scorer in all competitions as they brushed aside Brighton. That's where I'd start before we get into the Tottenham Hotspur versus Fulham. Yeah, well, is that, is that where you want to go now? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, let's go to that straight away. Okay, so I guess first off, the fact that Tottenham played Fulham today and not Aston Villa is notable in itself because that was only decided two days ago. Um, this was initially supposed to be Tottenham Villa and then COVID happened with Villa. So that game was postponed. And then the game that was previously postponed, Tottenham and Fulham, was chosen to replace it. Scott Parker was not happy about this. He expressed that. I believe, what did he say? It's a, a disgrace. Um, and Josie Mourinho kind of, not kind of, he, he mocked Scott Parker. Yes, he did. And basically said that if Fulham go out there and play their full squad anyway, then he should apologize. Uh, I would say this about that little back and forth. Um, I think, so I, I'm a little bit conflicted on it because we've said on this podcast before that like with regards to Parker saying it's a disgrace and how upset he is that this is happening. Like we've said that in this COVID year, weird stuff is going to happen. And the like an ability to sort of just understand that as being the reality and that every team at some point is probably going to get bit and have to do something in some way that is a, a nuisance and annoying to them. I, I think we have to just kind of like accept that as the reality until this is over. Having said that, like removing that for a moment and just putting myself in Scott Parker's position, he's he's right. Like it is borderline unacceptable that he could find out only 48 hours beforehand that they suddenly were going to be playing a game that wasn't scheduled because like I'm sure he would have fielded a different squad uh, in the FA Cup over the weekend had he known he was going to be playing a game on Wednesday against Tottenham. So, like, I, I understand his frustration. It's not easy to manage a team, let alone a team that is in a relegation battle. And, you know, every game matters. So, like, I, I, I can see why he would find that out after having played their weekend game and being like, come on, what the hell? I mean, you couldn't have told me this 24 hours earlier or, or whatever it was when their FA Cup match happened. So I, I do understand the frustration. Yeah, so do I. Um, excellent game. Um, I won't say excellent game, but two excellent goals in this game. Andrew, uh, Regulon's cross yeah. for Harry Kane's diving header was just sumptuous. Love a diving header. Oh, Harry, yeah. Harry, when, we, when we talk about our favorite types of goals, we talk about the Maisie runs, we talk about the volley. We, we, we leave that one out, but the diving header, JJ, is it's a sight to behold. It really is a sight. And um, uh, I think it was Miguel Delaney compared this one to the Henrik Larsson for Sweden against Bulgaria. Uh, which in Euro 2004, which is it was pretty close. And then Anthony Robinson, the American, slides the ball down in the second half on the outside from the left the left hand side again. And uh, uh, Lookman, who'd come on, Ad, uh, Adeloma Lookman, who'd who'd come onto the field, just puts in a brilliant cross, mm-hmm. brilliant cross, which is nodded home by Cavalieri for Fulham. And that was a, a I think that would go down as a cliched towering header. Um, but two brilliant goals, um, two brilliant headed goals. But uh, we're here, we're talking about Spurs, and we're we're talking about the same old things, Andrew. Yeah, I mean, it's it's history repeating. This is now, I mean, this is officially the story of their season, is this inability to hold on to leads in the final. I mean, this was what, that goal was in the 79th minute or so? So, I mean, basically, just call it the last 12 minutes of games 
Uh, it is, I know you've talked about this, it is sabotaging their season. Like they should, if you look at these games and the way they've transpired, they should every bit be in the title race right now with Liverpool and Manchester United. And you you can't say that they are. I mean, they're not far off of it, but they're not a part of it really. And it's because of uh, these late game situations coming back to bite them. And I know now, a, few, a few minutes before the Fulham equalizer, Son did hit the inside of the post on a breakaway, but that was during a, a long sustained period of Fulham pressure and Fulham possession. And again, you know, Spurs, Spurs tendency to, to fall back or to sit back. Now Mourinho again comes out and says this wasn't a, a tactical thing. This was individual errors, which I don't know. I find that harder to to buy when it's happened so often this season. Well, you know? here's here's the the only thing I would say about that is like to me this game felt a little bit more like their Newcastle game as opposed to their Crystal Palace one. And by that, I mean, like, we remember what happened against Palace. Tottenham scored early uh, and then kind of stopped. And Palace applied pressure and eventually the dam broke and they scored. The Newcastle game, if you remember, like, Tottenham scored early and then continued to have quality chances that they just squandered. And eventually the penalty was given and Newcastle equalized. This felt a little bit more like that to me. Uh, just because, like, if you think back over the game, you know, early on, Sun from point blank range, great save. Kane with a free header. I mean, how often do you see him sky one over the bar on a free That's header? From the, um, the Ori across. Regulon from 12 yards out after his first attempt was blocked, came right back to him, skied it over the bar. Sun, the goal that was disallowed, started his run probably, I, I guess, a fraction too early, went offside when he didn't necessarily need to. And then you mentioned also Sun off the inside of the post. I mean, at a certain point, like, yes, you. Uh, you know, you can say the flow of the game ended up where Tottenham maybe went through one of their spells where they didn't apply a ton of pressure. But mm. I mean, my goodness, how many, how many like moments of wow, how did they not score there? Do you need before you say sometimes it just comes down to not being able to finish opportunities? Well, that's Mourinho's default all the time. That's what he says permanently. But, but, you, but you, he says that. But I'm not like we we talk about his comments, whatever. Like. I, I laugh at most of the things he says. Like you and I just watching, you know, we can we can see a difference between a game where Tottenham scores and then stops playing and a game yeah. where they have, you know, six or seven like f- fantastic goal scoring opportunities. Like not every one one is created equally. But there's the flow of the game, there's also control of the game. And it's not me pointing this out. Tim Howard said it. Tottenham aren't a team when they're in the lead that can hold on to the ball and control a game to the point where Fulham can't have it and can't launch attacks. Tottenham give up the ball too easily. They give it away. They invite this pressure onto themselves. Um, I mean, look, we can say what we want, Andrew, about tactics. We can say what we want about individuals and their and their missed chances. For the tenth time this season, Spurs led a Premier League game at halftime, and for the fifth time this season, they ended up sharing the spoils. Mm-hmm. That's just yeah, the facts no, of it. it. It's like I said, it. This is their season now, and you know we'll. <sighs> We'll see how this how it all plays out for them. I mean, look, they're in a they, they've reached a cup final. Um, they're they've advanced obviously in the FA Cup. They're still in the Europa League, but this is like this is the crown jewel. And the fact that they're squandering an opportunity here, where like the point totals of whoever ends up winning this thing this season, it, it's going to be far lower than what we've been accustomed to the past couple seasons. And I mean, I'll echo the things that you said earlier in the season. They they're good enough. And we see it in spurts, but this inability to hang on to leads, it's its become truly frustrating 
watching I, that occur week in week out. I think when you see when you see some of the moves that they can put together and the players they have, you're like, you've got to do this. Look at the way they burst into life after the Fulham equalizer. Like this is this is not. Um, this team should be doing better. It just should be. It shows us enough to know that. Truly frustrating. Uh, a couple other results from the past couple days. Everton with a another important road win. They've been uh, they've been good recently, um, and they remain. I know when we did, they're in the club. We were told, or Everton supporters were told, to temper expectations. You know, qualifying for a Europa League place is probably more in line with what you can expect from them. And in the end, that may be true, but no one's told them that, and they are still very much a part of the top four battle. Uh, so good for them. Hamas Rodriguez back in the lineup as well. Back and creating. So, um, yeah, no, it, it's, it's been a good run for them. And again, they ground that, they ground that one out, Andrew. And, and beating Wolves is, that's, a, that's an excellent win for them. Yeah. Uh, and then, of course, we mentioned a little bit Manchester United uh, get a goal from Paul Pogba in the second half. And that's all they needed. 1-0 is the final for Manchester United. And they are now top, JJ, top. Of the table, the latest that they've been at this stage in the season since their t- their last title winning season. Yeah, it's um, we're going to talk more with Mark about this, but uh, it would be my opinion that things are falling right for United. Things are they're playing well in in, and I'm not taking anything away from them, but the things are falling right around them in terms of the season, in terms of the opposition, in terms of Liverpool struggles, and. Um, Look, that, that performance, they grounded out against Burnley. Burnley did have chances um, and, you know, they caused United problems. But, Andrew, if I'm a United fan, I would be I would be optimistic right now. Yeah, why shouldn't you be? I'll tell you what, let, let's just go to Mark now. Of course, the, the eyes of the soccer world will be on them this Sunday in Anfield when they take on Liverpool, the battle at the top of the table. Northern football correspondent for the Independent, Mark Critchley. He's kind enough to join us now to uh, to take a look at that game coming up this weekend. Mark, what's up, man? How are you? I'm not bad, guys. How are you? All good? Yeah, we're yeah, good. Mark, I got to jump in, but h- how did the champions elect look last night at Turf Moor? <laughs> well, you know, it's another... They just, they just keep on picking up the points. You know, what can you say? Um, I think, you know, it's been two years now of Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, and during that time... I don't know when when you've been reporting on it. It's been it's been sometimes quite difficult to know quite exactly where they stand. And and uh, as somebody who has to like kind of analyze every game afterwards, uh, you know, it, it's the results sometimes have been so volatile that um, that it, it's it's you find it hard to have a consistent position on them, and you feel a bit schizophrenic at times. That you're like, oh, well, do I think they're any good, or do I think they're terrible, or do I think they're you know going to win the league, or are they going to you know? Yeah get relegated even at one point this season um and it, it's kind of flitted about like that but you know they've, they've had this run now it's 11 games unbeaten um i think there's nine wins in that as well and yeah i i think no matter what anybody says and even though Solskjaer himself tries to play it down they are absolutely in a title challenge now for the first time really i mean obviously you had Mourinho's second season where they were the closest team to city but the points difference there it just just never felt that really materialised as a real as a real contest. Um, whereas now, you'd say this is this is really their first real title challenge since um, since Sir Alex Ferguson's retirement. And uh, yeah, things are looking up in that regard. Mark, you mentioned the word volatile, and I, I want to hone in on that for a sec because I, I want to talk about Paul Pogba. He scored the uh, the winning goal yesterday, 
And, you know, it's funny. It was like, JJ, what was it, like a week, two weeks ago, we're doing a podcast talking about him forcing his way out of Manchester. And since then, it feels like he's been a pretty positive force for them. This could have gone differently. Uh, Who gets credit for this going the way that it has? Well, I think, um, you know, if you take that situation and and just isolate it, then there's three players in it, isn't there? Um, There's Pogba himself, there's Solskjaer um, and his Mm -hmm. staff, and then there's, and then there's, Pogba's representative, Mina Raiola. And I don't think, you know, the latter of those groups, I don't know how much credit really Raiola can take for this. He seems to have been, <laughs> seems to have been the problem in all of it. But um, it, from a, from another perspective, I think I think Solskjaer, the way that he's handled the situation and the way that he has, you know, treated it with kid gloves, if you like, been very delicate about it, but always insisted that Paul Pogba had a role to play and that he was a very important player to United and that he was going to continue continue selecting him you know even though he's been in and out of the side all season he's going to keep relying on him um that has really you know it's it's put you it's put the club first if you like it's 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 kind of put that to one side allowed that to be a bit of a sideshow allow people to forget about it really and just concentrate on his performances and you know it's it, it, has his critics as he's had for for two years or so but i think that in terms of his man management, he's always really kind of excelled at that. And um, and this was another example of it uh, where it's really worked out for him. And then, like I say, I think, you, you know, you have to give some credit to Pogba himself, who is um, in the last few weeks, I, I, it's, it's difficult with Pogba. I think the whole time he's been at United, there's always been questions about exactly the, how people expect him to perform and what people expect of him. You know, he came for such, he's the record signing. Um, people, I think another issue is that people had never really, people who just watched the Premier League and especially just United fans who just focus on United had never really seen him develop and mature as a player. You know, he was at the club before, but he was in the youth team. They'd never really seen him go and progress as a, in senior football if they didn't go and watch Juventus or, you know, outside of the biggest Champions League games. And um, there's always been a bit of a discrepancy and a bit of a, a gap between people's expectations of him and what he actually does. But I think over the last few weeks, you've seen that um, he he is integral to a lot of what United want to do in terms of that style of play where a lot of it is based really on kind of individual moments and, and social giving players the freedom to express themselves and use their ability and use those talents. And um, I thought last night he put in, you know, a really commanding performance and this is, like I say, as part of this whole debate about him, there's always this question like, oh, well, can you name a match-winning performance? Can you name, you know, a really stat where he took a, a game by the scruff of the neck? It's something that you always, always hear about him. Um, and people sometimes struggle to think of one. I think they think of the derby a few years ago when they were at City and they denied them the title, uh, denied them winning the title that day at least. And he scored two goals. But otherwise, people struggle to name them. I think you have to now try and remember that game last night and remember just how important this could be. You know, whatever happens come May, it has put United back on top after being so long away from away from the summit of the Premier League. And he really stood up and delivered when it counted. Mark, uh, let's hone in on, on Sunday's game and uh, look at the opponents, Liverpool. So we've got a, a bloodied Liverpool, centre-backs gone, midfielder, centre-mids playing as centre-back. You've got Trent Alexander-Arnold, uh, the creative force of the past two seasons, in, in you know, struggling somewhat. United go into this one as favourites, do they not? Oh, <laughs> I, don't <know. laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I, um, 
favourites? Well, the thing is with Liverpool, it's at Anfield, and it's been so so long since you know they've they've lost a Premier League game there that I I don't think you can ever back really against Liverpool at Anfield at the moment. And um, I I wouldn't say that United are favourites going into it, but I'd say that they have a much better chance than they've had in recent years going there. Uh, I remember my first season covering United was. Um, Mourinho's last, or was it the last, or the no, no, it was his second. Sorry, it was his second. And um, they went to they went to Anfield in in October then, and they were top of the league, or they were they were close a level with City, I think. Um, and you know, it was built up as a game that for United to really kick on. And what we saw instead was the type of Jose Mourinho big game performance that we're used to, where you know he sat off, sat deep, you know had men behind the ball and and basically settled for a nil-nil. Uh, and that felt like a missed opportunity. What you can say now is that you don't think that United are going to approach the game in the same way under Solskjaer. You, you imagine that although, yes, he is going to look to try and, you know, play slightly conservatively and not give Liverpool the space that they need to, to go and, you know, excel, he will try and he will go out there to win this game. And I think... Um, yeah, you know, Liverpool obviously have their issues this year. I, I still fancy that if they didn't have the injuries just because of how, for example, City have been quite slow at the blocks. If Liverpool didn't have the injuries, they'd probably be clear by now and, and probably be fine. But the, you, there's a, there's a vulnerability, vulnerability about them, um, particularly in the way they're having to redress the balances of the team, the moving players about, like you referenced there. So... There's an opportunity for United, but I, I perhaps wouldn't be so bold as to call them favourites just yet. Yeah, you, you have to understand, Mark. JJ is a Liverpool supporter, and right, he puts okay. up these he puts up these walls as self defence mechanisms. Yeah. Uh, oh, oh be under be under no illusions. The I am piling on here. Uh, Liverpool <laughs> in terrible form, two wins in five, injuries abound, shocking lack of of cohesiveness in their play. Can't get a shot on goal. If United can't win this. Forget about it. There's no there's, Solskjaer might as well resign. Oh my God! Uh, let's. I, I do want to talk a little bit more about United with respect to this game coming up because it's funny. I saw uh, who it was Gary Neville yesterday that I saw encouraging Man United fans to to quote get carried away with respect to being in this title race. Uh, would you echo that sentiment? And and do you get the sense that supporters believe that this club can actually do something truly special this season? I think you've got every right to get carried away given that it's been so long. So, you know, not since 2012. Um, that's, that's a long time to feel like you haven't had a serious title challenge when you're a supporter of um, arguably, you know, certainly the, ri- the richest club in English football, um, arguably the biggest. Um, we won't get into that debate here. Um, but I, you know, I, I would still, I came away last night still thinking that you want to see a little bit more because is the thing I wrote after the game, it, it was just kind of comparing how United's record this season has been with with title winners in previous seasons and, and the most recent seasons in particular. And if you know, it doesn't really matter what you look at. If you look at the points, the points per game they're picking up, uh, the number of goals they're scoring, if you're into XG and all that stuff, it's all you know still slightly underwhelming and, and not quite where you'd want it to be for um, for a title winning side now. The, the caveat to that is that this season is just so weird um, and so unpredictable and that it could take a, a team just to emerge from nowhere and it doesn't take a lot for a team, not to not to get lucky in a sense, but 
you know, the, the the bar is much lower than it was certainly over the past three seasons with, with the City and Liverpool years of 95 plus points. Everybody accepts that we're not going to get to that level again. It's just about who's going to try and get 80 or get close to 80 or a little bit over that line. So I don't doubt that United can't do it, but um, I would just still be a little bit cautious. You know, even if you look at this run, it's it's 11 games unbeaten and a lot of wins in it as well. But quite a few of them have been by just one goal. Um, quite a few have been late or through penalties or, you know, we can. that's a whole different debate. But it does feel like on the one hand, they're, you know, they're, they're still winning when they're not playing at their absolute best. And that's the mark of champions. On the other, you'd want it to be a little bit more, feel a little bit more sustainable over the long run, um, given that you are up against two teams in Liverpool and City who have that pedigree. You know, they have the players, they have the squad. We know what we get from the, from those two sides. And particularly City, who are kind of stalking at the minute and just just picking up a bit of form and, and starting to look like they've redressed the balance issues that they had. So, you know, I, I wouldn't get absolutely carried away, but I wouldn't blame any United supporter for, for getting carried away at the same time. Mark, final one for me. Um, just... Basing, you know, basing it around Sunday. If there was one thing that United have to do on Sunday, or or some one player that has to play well for this to go the way they want, who would you hone in on? It's a good question. If there's one player that has to play well, it's it's not it's not an exciting answer, but it's Bruno Fernandez because he is just so central to to absolutely everything. Even last night, you know, he he really didn't have a particularly great game last night, but that's the thing about him. He is a player who will do the same thing week in, week out. And sometimes it comes off, sometimes it doesn't. He takes big risks. You know, even though he didn't have that game, that good game last night, if you remember, there was quite a few occasions, and especially when there was the whole VAR incident with Shaw and then Brady at the other end. The only reason that um, Cavani gets let loose at the other end is because Fernandez is right on that. While everybody else is complaining about the Shaw tackle, he's right on it, looking up, yeah. picks a pass and bangs a ball in, in behind the line and, and United are in. Uh, and I know that obviously it was immaterial in the end because it didn't, it didn't come to anything. But he he needs to be on it, and he needs to be. And if he plays, and if he, you know, if the percentage plays that he makes, if they're successful, then United have a really really good chance of getting a result. So he's the one player I'd say. And what what do they need to do? Um, I think, like I said before, you just know that Liverpool are vulnerable in certain areas, and know that. Liverpool, the way Liverpool have played for for years now, has always been always had that element of risk, and I don't really know if they're addressing it despite all the personnel issues that they've got at the minute. I, I don't think you know it's still very much the same game plan that we've seen from them, and and so just just to know that that vulnerability is there and that they can can be got at in a sense, yeah. Mark Richley of the Independent, check his work out there. You can uh, look him up on Twitter as well at MJ. Critchley, good stuff, man. Like we said, the uh, the world will be watching this game on Sunday. Should be fun. Thanks for joining us today. All right. Cheers, guys. See you bit. Uh, our thanks to Mark Critchley from the Independent. Um, you can't help yourself, JJ. You are, uh, I mean, the fact that you just so, the way you put it about uh, Manchester United, oh, yeah, I mean, they're I'm, I'm sure they're favorites in this game. Like, it's just a, an accepted fact yeah. that they would be favorites going to Anfield in a year where it feels a little bit like they're as, as well as they're playing, they might be exceeding expectations and Liverpool are the defending champions. Oh, he's got to pile the pressure. I on. mean, <laughs> my God. No, look, like I, I, I genuinely do believe that United are in a really good moment right now. And that the, 
the rest of the field is significantly weakened for for many reasons. We don't have to go over all the reasons, you, you know, but Liverpool in particular. So this is an opportunity for them. I really mean that. But uh, it doesn't mean that it doesn't mean they're they're just going to go to Anfield and win now. That's not what I'm saying. Although they could, they just might. They certainly could. Um, I don't know. I'm so. That's why it's going to be a great game. You're yeah. wondering. You're wondering. Can Liverpool click back into gear now after after being in this kind of stupor since they played Crystal Palace in the seven nil? Can they really get back up to gear? Can they absorb all the injuries they have? Can Bruno Fernandez? produce on the big day? Can Paul Pogba produce on the big day? Will Scott McTominay be able to dominate that midfield? All I, these questions. I still believe just, you know, taking momentum and things like that out for a moment. I, I still believe that man for man, Liverpool are the better team. That's not the point though. I think Liverpool are a better team. I think their, uh, their system right now is in, in, like their system that's been established under Klopp, all those things, the thing, the way the club is run, all those things, I think Liverpool are better at. It doesn't matter. United are the form side right now. United are the team that's in the flow and in the groove that's clicking, and Liverpool aren't. Well, it only takes one game it's any given, to change. It's any given Sunday, my friend. Of course, of course. I still no. think I still think Liverpool win. Okay, I can't help it. I, it's just I I firmly hope that's the case. I really do. I'm I'm fascinated about this game with uh, so many un- unanswered questions on both sides for me. Uh, before we get off the topic of Manchester United, I have fallen down a wormhole, Andrew. Um, YouTube will do that to me. Yeah. There is a United, uh, Manchester United um, account. It's called uh, Manchester United Clips. And it's uh, clips from the past. Okay. And they're finding these amazing pieces of Alex Ferguson from like these documentaries in the mid nineties that I never knew existed. And I think there may be like end of season reviews that used to be a big thing in English soccer. Each team in the nineties had their end of season review. And sometimes you'd have candid interviews with the manager. And when I say candid, this is on a level we are not accustomed to anymore in football. This is so candid. The, the things Ferguson is saying so he's asked about, it's at the end of the 94-95 season, I assume. And Kinchelskis, Bruce, and Ince have been moved on. And he's asked about those transfers. Andrew, he is so open. About Paul Ince, he goes, uh, you know, Paul was a tremendous player and starts off in that frame of mind. And you think, oh, this is going to be the usual, you know, the usual tribute. Like a stock answer, yeah. No. He goes in. Then he started calling himself the governor. That was his nickname. I'm the governor. And he goes, towards the end, that got a bit too much. It was it was too much. I think uh, I think he he played on it way too much and it became too much for the club. His his ego, his attitude. Instead of giving them the, this farewell, thanks very much, you've done a great job for yeah. the club, we sold you to Inter Milan. He's literally telling you inside what was going on at Old Trafford and why he moved him on. Wow. And then he talks about Kanchelskis' contract negotiations and he goes, oh, it was... Uh, it was real, uh, real Godfather stuff, and he he talks <laughs> just says how his agent was was uh, very difficult to deal with. How the how, how the meetings got really serious, the negotiations. He talks about kind of like threats in in the meetings and negotiations, and then he says straight out, Kincelskis, who served the club really well, he says that uh, he let everyone at Manchester United down. Like, oh my God! Like it's pure honesty. It's so good. Like wow, yeah. I um, 
but by the end of the podcast, I'll, I'll, I'll remember the exact name of that account. It's just so interesting to me because you never hear that now. No, you never get that like level of candor. Oh, classic Man United videos and clips. You've unearthed another gem. Oh, it's great. Just to, just to hear Fergie, just absolutely. And I guess he thought, well, who? it's not on live TV. It's not on Sky. Sure, who's going to listen to this? I'll just say whatever I want. I love the candor. And, and he was probably right for like for a generation. But then like, you know, Twitter and the internet, you know, he probably couldn't foresee the way that things like that will now live forever. Oh, that is, I mean, it's already got like 35,000 views. I think he, he's, he's put up new videos over the last few days and I'm just enraptured with this, these levels of honesty. Wow. Um, for the game this weekend. So are, are you willing to make a pick or are you, uh, not, uh, sure. Why not? Uh, two, one Liverpool. Oh, okay. So uh, I'm not going to, I'm not going to pick against Liverpool. I know I'm, I'm down on their chances, but I'm not going to pick against them. Uh, I'll say three nil Liverpool. Oh, yeah, a real I, pasting, JJ. Uh, oh, I, I don't think it's going to be that comprehensive. Just a, a solid beating. Wow. Comprehensive. Really? You have a mailbag, I believe? Mail busy, Andrew. Caughtoffsidepod at gmail.com. Caughtoffside ESPN on Instagram. Uh, and what is our... Oh, what is... It's Atzio Soccer Pod for Twitter, sorry. And um, what's our email again? <laughs> I've completely forgotten it. Caughtoffsidepod at gmail.com. Caught offside this is your six or seven that we're in now? Yeah, I'm tired today. Whatever's wrong with me, I'm just forgetting things. My flow is off, everything. It's, I'm sorry. I apologize for getting the email wrong. First of all, uh, thank you to everyone who got in touch regarding my post on podcast merchandising ideas. That was on Caught Offside ESPN on Instagram. I will take them to our overlords, Andrew, and see what they make of it. But people are enthusiastic about the idea of Caught Offside brand merch, mugs, Beanie hats, very popular. People want that. One person wanted a full kit of caught offside. Oh, so we can go full kit W's. Yeah. Oh, that is now well, that um that is what I'm talking about. Yeah, full kit W's. But um a lot of really good ideas. Like we're, we're gonna be like space balls. Have you ever seen yeah. them like they go through all the space balls merchandise? Space balls the flamethrower. <laughs> That's what we need. Yeah. Um some people just want your face on a t-shirt looking glum that says old spursy andy that's it or like it is a bright future something oh it is a bright future speaking of faces on t-shirts i uh around the holidays i got you a gift and in the order it said it was going to arrive late but i thought the arrival time was around now still (laughs) nothing huh nothing gifts have come and gone to this house of mine this apartment of mine yours has not darkened my door starting to get antsy here yeah all right keep me posted i will mike messina mailbag slash observation in rory smith's newsletter someone was complaining about jack Grealish and tom davies having very low socks rory responded with the rui costa rule that if rui costa did it then it is the coolest thing to do so this led to a highlight videos of rui costa what a player but also it looks like jack Grealish has similar qualities and not just sock length in common couldn't agree more what a great shout by mike he was just if he had pulled out a cigar and i'm not saying smoking is cool kids but if he had pulled out a cigar in the middle of the field and smoked it and and put on shades he couldn't have been any cooler Rui costa guys when he played for fiorentina even in his days at ac milan portugal 
So good. The socks were low, low and lower as the game went on. Um, and he glided across the turf. And he could just whack a football so hard. He was oh, sensual. It's one of those sensual footballers. One of those guys you watch and it's just, it's art. It's poetry in motion. And I guess because Figo was dominant and then along came Ronaldo into his area, he kind of doesn't get the credit he deserves. Oh, such a great shout by Mike. What an amazing player. And, you know, he could he could dribble and he could pass. Not dissimilar to Jack Grealish, I will say. Uh, Casey Adkins. Everton, uh, he's tweeting Everton's news feed where Everton have today announced a new strategic partnership with my old Sligar Rovers. So Casey is... Uh, is saying, JJ's boyhood club conspiring with LFC's greatest adversary. Gotta love it. Now, a number of you noticed this, including Jack from Missouri. So Sligo Rovers and Everton, Seamus Coleman's two professional football clubs, have announced some kind of strategy partnership, which sounds to me disconcertingly vague. They're going to collaborate. One of the good things was they're going to collaborate in terms of coaching. Everton are going to use Sligo Rovers scouts to scout Irish players. That's a good thing, I guess. Um, and uh, there's going to be a marketing partnership. But we've seen this before. This has happened to Irish clubs. Everton have even been in America and set up their own clubs, their own youth clubs here on the East Coast as well. So I, I don't know what it means long term. But um, yeah, that's, that's I guess, what's like Rovers will look for from Everton is money. Because several years ago, I remember Tottenham and Real Madrid established this kind of partnership mm. and it went poorly because Real Madrid started pillaging Tottenham of their best players. It was when they took Modric and Bale and, you know, those were contentious negotiations where Tottenham, you know how Daniel Levy operates in those yeah. situations. And so I think the partnership was eventually torn up between the two clubs because it was just clearly not <laughs> progressing the way that they had envisioned. Yeah. Look, these things are, there's always a junior partner in these things. I feel yeah. remember Barcelona announced they were doing something similar with Ajax. I'm like, hang on a second. This, yeah, I don't like this. Um, but for Sligo Rovers, in the reality of being a League of Ireland team, is Andrew, you sell players if you can to make money. That's the facts. Um, so look, good luck to them. I hope I hope something works out well for for both sides. Um, Austin, I love the pod. I started listening back in June, and since then I haven't missed a single one. Thank you. The podcast has been great for making it through COVID. I am from Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, and in high school. I chose Southampton to be my team about six years ago now. I was wondering if you if you guys could eventually do inside the club, in the club for them, or just share your thoughts on their performance this season. I actually think that's a great shout. Yeah, that's a good suggestion. I think they have. They've been one of the, the good stories from the league this year. Yeah, I think we'll get on that. Rather than give our thoughts right now, we'll do in, in the club in the next few weeks with Southampton. I think that's I think that's a good idea. Um Toby. Uh, NWSL draft is this week. It's tonight. Uh, ongoing as we speak. What's your thoughts on NWSL losing out on Katarina Macario to Olympic Lyonnais? Um, so yeah, she did not enter the NWSL draft. Um, Avi Credit heard a kind of interesting thing to say in Sports Illustrated about this. He said, the fact that her decision comes as multiple established senior national team players have gone and continue to go abroad. Adi Dalcamper is reportedly joining Sam Mewis and Rose Lavelle at Manchester City as the latest example, while Tobin Heath and Christian Press remain with Man United, only further illuminates NWSL's bubbling talent retention issue and the growing threat from the top flights in England. 
Players wanting to stay sharp in an Olympic year while the pandemic hampered the NWSL's schedule is one thing, but it doesn't appear the lure of playing abroad is limited to COVID-19-induced reasons. Top clubs in England's Women's Super League and elsewhere on the continent beyond Lyon have deep pockets, the kind that can be quite alluring when compared with the offerings at home. So I think that kind of sums that up, really. There's, there's, There's no set date, by the way, for the start of NWSL. So I think in that sense, there's been this uncertainty for a while about it. And this player is so highly rated that it was kind of, it was felt as if, you know, Olympic Lyonnais were going to jump in there, get her signature, and they have. Now, she's recently become a U.S. citizen, I think just this fall past. And now she's declared, or her papers have come through, that she can play for the U.S. women's national team. Hmm. How about that? Um, I should mention, JJ, for the uh, NWSL draft going on now, uh, Racing Louisville FC took Emily Fox, number one, a defender from UNC. Two of the first three picks were UNC. Uh, The third pick also, Brianna Pinto, a midfielder for North Carolina. The number two pick for the Washington Spirit, JJ, Trinity Rodman. Yes. Forward from Washington State, who happens to be the daughter of NBA Hall of Famer Dennis Rodman. Very interesting. Yeah. Okay. So congrats. Congrats to everybody who's drafted tonight. Yeah, you can watch that right now on Twitch. Uh, Ryan McIlvan says, you've got to give the show another chance, JJ. He can only be talking about one thing. That's for sure. <laughs> People be- will not let you up. No, just because it makes you feel good, just because it's going broad doesn't make it mindless. A show with that much wit and heart to burn, repent ye, repent ye. <laughs> so Ryan's gone full... Uh, 17th century preacher on me. Um, I just have one more point to make about this because I, I can't keep doing Ted Lasso. Uh, just because it makes you feel good is is is, lying, is Ryan's line. The key point to be made here is that it doesn't make me feel good. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with people f- feeling good from watching Ted Lasso. I don't. So the problem there. is too many of you guys and, and myself, too many of us out there like it. Uh, and it's become too mainstream. If this was like filmed on some grainy footage and found in the dark recesses of YouTube and everything else about it was exactly the same, JJ would adore it because it, it would be his and his alone. Andrew, That's how he works. Andrew, I'm so mainstream that I love the work of Nicolas Cage. So don't don't even dare try and do that. I'm not some... He's not I, main, He's He's like weird mainstream he's not he's not a mainstream actor that I don't, way like a tom hanks is i don't sit on my sofa smoking cigarettes in a dimly lit room watching french art house movies okay that's how you'd like to portray me that's not by the way the fact that nicholas Cage i mentioned tom hanks Nick, the fact that nicholas cage defeated tom hanks for a best actor award in the oscars is just it's one of the things that gets me through the day every day and i love tom hanks he might be my all-time favorite actor but just knowing that that can happen it's it's one of those things that just it's inspirational to me. Anything is possible in a world where Nicolas Cage can beat Tom Hanks for best actor. All right. Um, moving on. Omar, dear caught offside, been listening to you since right before the last World Cup and someone who has not stopped working throughout the entire pandemic. Let me just say your pandemic pods were as essential as any job. Wow. Geez. As a father of a one year old child uh, who has been born into these times and sometimes it was so stressful, it gave me anxiety. And I'd never experienced that before. But your pods meant the world to me. I've lost family in Mexico due to the virus. And your pods are as as small as they may seem to you. They help get me through it. Keep up the amazing work. Thank you, Omar. 
Um, thank you very much. And and by the way, Omar had sent us other emails before, and I never got a chance to read them out. And he sent that one. I found it to be incredibly touching. So it's not just me praising myself, but I, I sometimes like to be reminded that what we do is worthwhile. <laughs> so it's you praising yourself. It's not. It's not. I, I'm I'm still shocked that people um, found this podcast a help during these times. But then again, I found podcasts a help as well. So. Maybe it's not that strange. Uh, finally, Simon in Arizona. I like when you guys tell us what you are watching or streaming and seeing as it's dark January, maybe you can let us know of what you are watching or streaming oh, or wow. listening to right now. Uh, first off, I would like to say that, so I'm kind of between shows right now. So I will take that email and throw it back out to all of you. And I would love for people to tell us also what they are streaming and watching right now, because I would love to have suggestions from other people. I will say a couple things on it. Uh, for one, I'm finally taking up one of your longtime recommendations, JJ, and I've started Peep Show. <laughs> so far. I'm, I'm too in, so very, very early, but it's it's super funny. And I love those two guys. I love them. They're the best. Right. So I'm excited about uh, getting into that show. It's, it's great. And then with my obsession with 1917, um, I've gone deep on World War One, and their HBO Max right now has like a a World War One uh, like ten part documentary, and so I'm I'm also combing my way through that to learn more about a war that I feel like I don't know very much about. So it's kind of like a complete polar opposite viewing experience. I go from a peep show uh, viewing into like heavy World War One viewing, so I'm all over the map right now. But I would love other people's recommendations as well. Um, I'll just tell you, I, I finished Ripper on uh, Netflix, which is quite dark. It, it's not for all our listeners, for sure, um, about the Yorkshire Ripper murders in the 70s and uh, early 80s. Uh, I found that fascinating, and it's really well put together. And I'm going to move on to, there's a HBO documentary about the Heaven's Gate cult. Mm. And um, I'm going to watch that next. You know me, I'm obsessed by fringe and weird Americana. And... Um, and cults have always seemed to be a part of that. So um, I'm uh, I'm going to watch that one because I remember when that happened. Yeah, that, was, that Marshall Applewhite, that was his name, right? He uh, he really struck me as a normal, well-adjusted man. I wonder what happened there. Oh, and it's such to inflict such tragedy based on the fact that you were going to attach yourself to the back of the Hale-Bopp comet and go to a special planet. What is that on, Netflix? Uh, HBO, I believe. Oh, wow. Yeah, I'll be curious. That, that's an interesting one. Yeah. All right. That is our mailbag. Oh, leave an iTunes review. Our last iTunes review was in December. It was a wonderful by wonderful, wonderful review by a woman named Anita. But we need to uh, we need to get some more reviews. Well, well, you know what? Then that's where you can all leave your suggestions for what we should be watching. Ah, leave them as iTunes reviews. Those are very, very confusing reviews. If our (laughs) bosses ever go back and look at this, why? Why are there a series of other shows being listed here for your reviews? But actually. Yeah, just leave actually just leave a five star review and a nice comment about the podcast and your your uh, recommendations for TV watching. There you go. Uh, well, that is the mailbag, and that is also the show. That is the end of the podcast for this week. JJ Sunday eleven thirty, a peacock vehicle, Liverpool yeah. and Manchester United. Oh, that's going to go over wonderfully with everyone. I mean, you can't complain about it anymore. Like the, we knew back in the first week of the season. So you know. I'm sure people out there have <laughs> come to come to terms, I suppose. Oh, they've accepted it in a very calm and rational manner, Andrew. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but it should be fun, man. That is that is your game of the season up to this point. 
this rivalry rekindled in a way that we have not seen it in a number of years. So that should be a, a lot of fun. Uh, we will, of course, be back next week with a full recap of that as long, uh, along with everything else going on in the world of this sport. Good stuff, my friend. I enjoyed this very, very much. To you, I say... Check you later, fun boy. See ya. Take care. You've been-